All right. Um, Psalms is a, it's a, the reason why we're doing Psalms is because I want to get into David's heart. So first Chronicles and then in second, first and second Samuel, we talked about David and I want to continue this theme of talking about David. That's why we're going out of the biblical order. But as far as the chronology goes, we are, we are lined up. This is, it's, it's, we're setting it up for us to really grasp um, the condition of the heart of a man that was blessed. And I think we need to get it. I mean, he, he understood not only how to get blessed, but how to enter into a really intimate relationship with Jesus, even before Jesus was born. He, uh, we, when we read Psalms, we begin to see some really strong, concrete evidence of Messiah. And Messiah is the anointed one. He is Jesus. He is the only way. He is the, he is the Savior of the world. And David saw him. And so I want to I see his heart. And Psalms is amazing because we get to see David's heart. There's 150 Psalms. Uh, 74 of them are written by David. The rest of them uh, were written by other guys that ripped off David. Okay, so it, it, I mean, it's about David. It really is. And so um, it's, uh, it's interesting to me that, okay, we have this, it's like a hymn book, kind of. It's like a song book. And it was, the psalms were meant to be sung to a musical instrument, you know, like a, like a harp or a lyre. If they would have had electric guitars and tubas, they would be playing those. So there's nothing, you know, supernatural, spiritual about the instruments that they used back then. But, uh, but they just used music to communicate the heart. And David introduced the style of worship, this contemplative style of, of you know, here I am, Lord, uh, you know, uh, here's my broken heart. And he was the master at doing this. Um, the interesting thing about the book of Psalms, it, it's its structure. And we need to, for today, we need to understand its structure. Because it is, when you read it, it looks like it's a, you know, just a bunch of poems, but it's more than that. It's, it's deeper than that. And actually the structure of the book will bless your life. And so that's what we're going to look at. And then on Wednesday night, we will go in depth on the Messiah. So we will look at the, the specific verses that highlight and begin to give us some concrete evidence of the future Messiah. Specifically, we're going to be looking at Psalms 22. And so it's going to be a good Wednesday night. You'll see, you'll see Jesus uh, a thousand years before he was born. Isn't that cool? Like we see the crucifixion almost point by point, detail by t- detail, a thousand years before it happened. It's, it's fascinating. I don't understand why not everybody's a Christian. So, all right. Um, okay, get your Bibles out. We're going to start off at, uh, at chapter 1, verse 1. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to describe the structure of the book a little bit. Um, When you got your Bible out, does your Bible say book one? Chapter one, book one. All right. Do we, does it everybody, how many books do you think are inside of Psalms? Anybody know? Uh, no, not quite. There's five. 
So the book of Psalms is separated into five different categories. And there's a little bit of a misunderstanding or, I don't know, I think they placed the book one in the wrong spot. Because there's five different books, they have five different themes, which is interesting to me. And then, uh, but Psalms 1 and Psalms 2 is going to be the introductions to the whole book, the whole book of Psalms. And so let's take a look. We're going to read it. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but he delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment. Uh, okay, you guys are kind of afraid of judgment? Okay, maybe a little bit. Yeah, I, I, you know, I said some bad words last week. I'm kind of afraid to stand before the Lord. Um, the alternative is not so good. You want to be judged. <laughs> okay, does that make sense? You actually want to stand before the Lord in judgment because the alternative is something else. It's, it's the other place. Okay? You guys get that? So, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Okay, so this starts off. This is the introduction. And what we're getting into is contrasts. We need to see the contrast between the blessed man and the wicked man. I like contrasts. I like vanilla ice cream with hot fudge sauce on it. Yeah? And I love chocolate. I'm a big chocolate freak. And there's a major misconception understanding there's a communication breakdown in my family with my wife because she thinks that because i like chocolate she's going to get me chocolate ice cream with chocolate sauce and i don't like that because there's no contrast now she could get me chocolate ice cream with marshmallow sauce and that's okay because that's a contrast and and the, the, the Psalms is going to point out some major contrasts. So here we see the contrast between the blessed man and the wicked man. The wicked man is chaff. And it says that he's a failure. This is kind of, it's kind of what, really? Because I know a lot of wicked people that have a lot of toys. I know a lot of wicked people that are doing very well in life, and it does not seem fair. Okay, uh, don't get your hopes down because the Bible talks about those guys too. So even though through the optics of, of our world, when we see successful, wicked, rich people, that is through the optics of the world. But in reality, they are chaff. They have no substance. They have no weight. They have no roots. They don't produce fruit. When the wind comes, when the wind comes, when the Holy Spirit shows up, they're useless. They, ha- they can't do a thing. 
they get blown away. That day is coming someday for them. That day is coming. Now, in contrast, the righteous person is like a tree that is planted by a a river or a stream or creek. And Israel is a lot like California. It's dry. It it, it goes into droughts all the time. And so successful trees are the ones that are planted by streams of living water and their roots go deep, and they produce fruit in season, and their leaves don't wither. They are people of integrity. They're people of strength. And this is the contrast between the two. Now, there are five books inside of Psalms. And I didn't really understand this, until, oh, this is kind of embarrassing to say, until this week. You know what the amazing thing about reading the Bible again and again and again and again and again is that you always find something. You all, there's always something new to discover. It's not like the Bible has changed and like words like magically have, have appeared. The thing is that has changed is you. You have changed. Either you've gotten more mature, you've grown, you're, maybe you're older, maybe you're dumber. Something has happened where the word of God is now, it's something, something about it is resonating with you. Like you've discovered something new. So there's always something new to discover. I actually preached Psalms, and I, the title was Psalms. I did it nine months ago. And uh, I, I, there was a stuff that I missed uh, since January, I have read through Psalms three times. And it was this week that I just kind of like, wow, that kind of makes sense. The reason why that this is more than just a hymnal, more than just a songbook, that it is actually a book of instruction is because it, it, they did break it into five parts. And as we see in the introduction of the, of the first one, there's this contrast between good and evil. Um, and then we are, let's go, to, let's go to chapter two real quick. Chapter 2 says, why do the nations conspire? Other translations say, why do the wicked nations conspire? Why do the ungodly conspire? And the people plot in vain. The kings of the earth, they take their stand. And the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. This is Messiah. This is Jesus. We begin to see him. He's coming to life. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in their anger. He terrifies them in his wrath. So we're talking about Messiah. We're ta- we begin to see the introduction. And again, we'll, we're going to really pull him out on Wednesday night. But we're going to see the introduction to the Prince of Peace. We're going to see the gospel of grace. And when this is about contrast, this is uh, Psalms is almost... The way that it's being presented, and I believe that this is intentional. This is what I hadn't seen before. The reason why there's five books, if you've been following along from the very beginning, how many books are there in the law? 
the Pentateuch, five. So the Pentateuch has five books in it. And it, it's, it's the Torah, right? It's got the Ten Commandments. It's some very black and white stuff. Most of it's common sense. Don't kill people. Don't lie. Don't have affairs. Uh, do unto others. You know, it's, it's very, it's almost like it's natural law type of stuff. Of course, there's the weird food laws. We already talked about that. But for the most part, it's black and white stuff. It's the things that we do to separate us from the rest of the world. It's the things that we needed to do to, to live a righteous life. It's the black and white stuff. But the world isn't necessarily about black and white issues. Now, is it? Psalms is the companion to this. And I believe the reason why that there's five books is because sometimes there is not a black and white answer to the issues that we face in our world. Now, the, the, the ones that are, there's, there's a lot of deal breakers in the Bible, so you need to be confident in what the Word of God says about His laws. But is God going, is, is it in the Torah, like who you're going to marry? Is, is, in the Torah, is there anything about what job you should take or who you should vote for? It doesn't tell you. It would, it would be nice if it did, but it doesn't. And so we need to be able to engage the Holy Spirit in prayer. And this is what this companion book is for. This is what the Psalms are for. In our world today, it's difficult, is it not? So not only do we have to face the struggles of everyday life, of finances, relationship, health, where we need clarity, we need guidance, we need to know what to do so we don't mess things up. Uh, and we, you know, we can't, there's no chapter that we can turn to, but this is what we can do. We can pray this stuff through. Now, likewise, where there's confusion about our own personal lives, isn't there a lot of confusion about what's going on in this world today? It, it's difficult. Like, when watching the news, one of the main words, it seems like there's, like a, a, there's always a theme whenever there's a season of violence or there's, a, you know, there's something going on. And it seems to me, maybe... I don't know, maybe you're seeing the same thing, but when I'm watching the news, what, what people are saying in response to all the violence that's going on, all of the shootings, there was more shootings this, uh, today in, in Louisiana. It's like, Jesus, come soon. Um, everybody is saying, I, I hurt. Is that just me that I'm picking up on that? But people are saying, I hurt. There's, you know, there's anger too, but there's like a, there's a hurt heart that's going on. And this is what we have to do as believers. We have to pray this pain out. We have to pray this pain through. Uh, we, have to, we, we have to guard our hearts. Now, I'm not saying we stick our head in the sand and we, don't, we just ignore everything that's going on in the world. You need to be watching the news. You need to be informed but if you're like me, and if you're a news junkie, you're going to spin into depression unless you pray that stuff through. Because what will happen is you're just, you're going to, and maybe it's true, I don't know. Maybe you think of the world as going to hell in a handbasket. It, it seems that way. But here's the thing that needs to bring you joy. If we are in the end times, and if the world is going to hell in a handbasket, guess what? 
Jesus is coming back soon. And that ought to give us joy. That ought to give us a hope. And so if you're being plagued by all this stuff, and not only the weight of your own personal life is on your shoulders, but for some reason you've decided to take on the weight of the world, you've got to pray this stuff through. And David was the master at this. This is why the books were written, and so that we could pray the weight of the world off of our shoulders, where we could actually hand it over to Messiah, to Jesus. We need to hand this stuff over to Jesus. We are not the saviors of the world, so you don't need to spend 24 hours a day watching the news. You can't do anything to solve it. I'm not saying that as Christians we don't take action We are people of justice, so there's specific things that we can do, but we cannot save the world. Whose job is that? It's Jesus' job, and he's already done it. He's already won. He's already saved the world, and it's just a matter of evicting the rest of the guy out. Uh, Daniel Hoff, he's he's doing an eviction thing right now. The contract has been signed with the cross, the enemy of God has been evicted from the planet. But he's still, he's kicking holes in the, in, in the walls. He's still messing stuff up. He's leaving his hypodermic needles all over the place. But he's out. And the world's going to get cleaned up. It's just a matter of time. The new Jerusalem is coming. The new Jerusalem is coming. Everything is going to be set right. Not only in this world, but in your own personal lives. Revelation says that we will not cry anymore. That we will not have any more pain or struggle or tension or fretting or fear anymore. All of our tears will go away. Hallelujah. All right. So let's see how David does it. All right. Uh, okay, so now we begin to look at, the, at book one inside of Psalms. Book one actually starts at chapter three, okay? And this is David's first psalm, and let me give you the context of it. Some of your Bibles might tell you what the context is, but this is David's, his lament. Now let's get back into contrast. The book, Psalms, is about contrast. It's about lament and praise. So you're going to see the two. I'm going to give you a little clue on reading it. Read it all the way through. Like if you're just reading book one, book two, and book three of Psalms, uh, there's a lot of lament in that. And you're going to be reaching for your Prozac by the time you're done. So you need to read book four and five, and you need a focus, which we will do at the end, on chapters 146, 147, 148, and 150. Okay? You have to read the whole thing through. Because the lament, it's a progression. It's like things are bad, things are bad. We get a pin poke of hope and praise and rejoicing. Things are bad, things are bad. But once we hit four, book four and book five, it's all about praise and it's all about thanksgiving and it's all about hope. So you have, 
that is, that is the, that's the process that we take as believers. When you walk into the, the, the faith, when you begin to, to realize that Jesus is the hope of the world, when you begin to see, when you begin to grasp the gospel of grace, you will see that it is a progression, that he is here to walk you out of your pain. And this is how you do it. You have to pray it through. All right, David, he is the man that is after God's own heart. He starts off at a lowly place. He gets promoted to being a king. It's the, the journey is incredible. And he has gone through so many uh, obstacles. As a young boy, he was killing lions and bears. Then he upgraded to killing giants. Then he upgraded to killing entire nations. The the way that he's able to put his trust in God is what promoted him to success. He trusted God in the worst of circumstances. And we begin to see him in his low points. He prays his frustrations. You ready for this? He even prays his disappointment with God. Have you ever been disappointed with God? There's actually room for you to pray that junk out. Yeah, because it's junk. Once you get disappointed with God, it's like you have a choice. If you feel like God has let you down, like he didn't answer your prayers or a bad thing happened to a good person, which is me. If you do not, you, again, you have that choice. I am a either going to put my faith and my trust in God or B, I am going to continue to be angry at him and let that fester into bitterness. You don't want to do that. You know, it's very difficult to break a pattern of thought that God is a bad guy. He's not a bad guy. He's a, he's, he's a good father. Amen. Okay? So, uh, David actually was there at one point. When, probably when Saul was chasing him around the whole country. When he was supposed to be king and he wasn't king. When he was given a promise, that promise did not come to fruition. The, the, the promise did not materialize, and he's living in a hole somewhere. He complains and gripes to God, but here's the difference. This is what he does that we don't do. He says, thank you. He says, God, even though I don't understand, even though I'm angry at you, I've put my faith, my trust, and I'm going to praise you in my pain. So that's what he does. And then when we read this next one, we see the development and the spiritual growth, the integrity, the deep roots of a man of faith that has been through hell and back, and now he's doing it again. He's going back to hell, but he's successful. All right, here we go. His son, Absalom. Maybe you know the story, but Absalom was David's third son. Absalom killed, murdered uh, David's oldest son, Amnon, and then uh, the second son, his name was Daniel or some other, uh, his, basically his name translates as Daniel. We know nothing about him. They, they think that he died. 
So Absalom should have been the, the, the rightful king. Um, but since he murdered the oldest son, David ships him off to boarding school, basically. And that's the last that they've ever communicated as far as we know. So, uh, you know, great man of God, not a great father, because he didn't deal with the issue at home. He just shipped the kid off to grandma and grandpa's house. Instead of saying, all right, how do I, how do I bring healing back into my home? And so as a consequence of that action, Absalom begins to develop bitterness towards his father, this animosity towards his father. And we got to know that Amnon, uh, uh, Absalom was basically the, the reflection of David. He was, the, he, was, he was David's mini-me. He was, the mere, he, was, he, was, he was David. He was the closest thing to David. You know, Solomon was kind of a, a mama's boy, a, a book learner. But, but Absalom was, was like David. He was the warrior. He was the leader. He was the natural leader. He had David's good looks. There was everything about Absalom looked like David. And David loved Absalom. David probably trained Absalom in warfare because we begin to see Absalom lead like David. Absalom gathers people like David, and Absalom is going to lead from the front like David did. He was David's favorite. But he was let down. He was, his heart was broken. You know, he, uh, when when Absalom murdered Amnon, he did it because Amnon raped his sister. And so it would seem like it was a justifiable, I don't know, murder. Because you can't do that kind of stuff. Like he didn't break the Torah law. I mean, he didn't. So there's this bitterness. In addition to that, um, David is he's kind of messed up. Like... David's got some issues because we know what David did, right? We know that okay, David's number one sin was not necessarily um, the affair, the the way that he forced himself on on Bathsheba. Now the murder was him killing Bathsheba's husband. So there was the murder, and then there was the adulterous affair. And God says, you are going to pay the price for this. And if you read Psalms 51, you begin to see, if you, if you need to repent, do you guys know how to repent? Oh, Scott, my bad. I'm sorry. I blew it again, right? My bad. Okay. You read, read Psalms 51. David will show you how to repent the right way. I think that's our problem because we don't think that what we do is bad because we don't hurt anybody. Now, you grieve God's heart. You need to learn how to repent the right way. Read Psalms 51. Um, so, David is able to move himself uh, into... Uh, a place of saying, all right, God, this is a, I put myself in a really bad situation and I feel really, have you ever felt guilty about something that you've done? Bathsheba 
the woman that he forced himself on, he, he abused his power as king to get the woman that he wants. He actually felt guilty about this whole situation. And Bathsheba positioned her son Solomon to take the throne. And Solomon was son number eight. So he didn't have a claim to the throne. The only leverage that they had was, you know what, David? Remember you killed my husband? Maybe you should make my son king to pay penance for your sin. The Bible also says that Solomon was God's guy. So I'm not saying I contradict the Bible here. But what I am saying is this is the condition of Absalom's heart. This is what drove him into bitterness because he was bypassed. He was completely forsaken. And as a result, he used his natural abilities to strip the kingdom right out of David's hands. He is this natural leader. He is this brave warrior. And he pulls it off and we see David running for his life. Um, Have we ever seen David run from anything? Have we ever... He's never backed down from a lion, a bear, a giant, a nation, a battle. He always leads from the front unless he's seducing a woman. (laughs) Why did he run away? It's because he didn't want to have to kill his son. Because he loved Absalom. Because whatever was left of this dysfunctional relationship was, was worth more to him than a kingdom. So he ran away. He lost everything. He lost his family. He lost the kingdom. And remember, he was the priest king at this time. He lost that connection, uh, the, the access to uh, the tabernacle, that, 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 that uh, tent shrine thing. He actually does take the Ark of the Covenant with him. But then he has so much respect for God's word and God's presence that he's like, you know what, I probably shouldn't steal this thing. Let's send it back. He leaves it all behind because it's the right thing to do. And now we begin to see the condition of his heart in chapter 3. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? How many... Uh, Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him this time. I'm sure that's not the first time he's heard this. God's not going to deliver him. But, so he's not listening to these negative voices. He's not listening to the news. He's listening to God's truth. God's promises. But... You are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me, and you what? Lift up my head. All right. Can you do this? Like you just binged watched CNN. How, what, where's your head? Are you walking out the door with your head hung low because the world's going down the toilet? Relationships falling apart. Finances aren't good. You just contracted some skin disease. 
Is your head held up high? Can you say that in, in your lowest point? God, hold my head up high. It's a choice. It's a choice to ask God to lift your chin up. Uh, he didn't do this the first time around. David learned how to do this. Because the first time around when Saul was chasing him around the countryside, he was like, oh, I'm a worm. God, you must hate me. All right? So he's changed his tune a bit. He's actually learned a bit in his older age. Lift up my head. To the Lord I cry, and he answers me from his holy hill. There we go. I lie down and sleep. Really? Hey, people are trying to kill you. Your son just stabbed you in the back. If he had a, if he had a chance, he would stab you in the front. He would. Absalom would kill his dad in a heartbeat. Uh, his whole identity has been taken away from him. And the guy can sleep at night. I mean, if my dog has a nervous breakdown, I'm not sleeping. I lose sleep over the littlest stuff. It's because I haven't allowed God into certain areas in my life. My dog's not saved yet. So I lose sleep over things like that, right? What are you losing sleep over? What stresses you out? Is it your job? Is it your, is it your finances? All right, I'll tell you something. Um, my finances, they're not great, but I tithe, therefore I don't lose sleep because it's not my money, it's God's money. So it doesn't stress me out. It's in God's hands because I've, I've, I put God's mark on my money. I give him 10% right off the top. I do it automatically so I don't forget. So I don't lose sleep. I've obeyed the law and it's... Are things perfect? No. But I, I have peace in that area of my life. Now, when I lose sleep over other things, it's like, oh, gosh, okay. God, what, what are you losing sleep over? There's your telltale. That's what you need to hand over to Messiah. That's what you need to give to Jesus. Those are the issues in your life that you need to pray this stuff through like Jesus does, like, like, like David does. Are you angry? Is it anger keeping you up at night? Pray your anger like David does. Let's see what he says. It's great. Maybe you feel this way about your boss. Uh, it says, Okay, you are a shield around me, O God. You bestow glory. You lift up my head. I cry aloud. I lie down and I sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear tens of thousands. Uh, I will not fear the tens of thousands that rise up against me on every side. Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike my enemies on the jaw and break their teeth of the wicked. You could, you could maybe cross that out. Strike my boss in the mouth. <laughs> knock his teeth out. I hate that guy. I'm so angry. But you see that this is the better way to do it. This is the way to do it. Because if you harbor this stuff deep down inside, and if you don't put it in, if you don't put your pain and your frustration and your disappointment and your laments into the presence of God, they're going to stay in your heart. They're going to stagnate. They're going to make you sick and bitter. 
So pray them, get them into God's presence and pray them through like David does. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessings be upon whom? Me? Oh. Again, this is another sign of character because he's not praying blessings upon himself. Other points that he does. But here in his lowest point, he's putting others above himself. He is not a selfish person. That's a good characteristic trait of a king, of a leader. A good leader puts other people above themselves. This is why he's able to walk away from a kingdom and give it to his angry son. And not, he could probably, he probably could have taken his, his son. You guys have any sons? Can you still take your son? If you can't, you have to lie. Right? Just, just lie about it and make, just tell your, your, you know, your junior high boy, I can still take you. And then they don't know anything about sucker punching yet. They don't know anything about fighting dirty. No, it's all, all's fair. Okay, so for the sake of time, the contrast is lament and praises. Okay, so we see David lamenting, but we see him lamenting in a very healthy way. And if you, if you, read, uh, if you read Psalms 23, the most famous of the Psalms, I can't quite figure out when that one was written. Was it written, I think, see, some people think that it was written in his, his older, you know, maybe he was in, later in life, 60s and 70s. I tend to think that maybe he was more 45-ish age bracket. We don't necessarily know. But Psalms 23, although I walk through the valley of shadow of death, uh, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And it's not that I used to think that, uh, oh, that's cool. I want a rod and staff. So I used to think that David had a rod and a staff, the weapons of God that he used to get people with. But it's usually, it's actually the other way around. God has the rod and God has the staff. And he's, 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 He's hitting David with the rod, right? It's discipline. God disciplines those that he loves. And, and sheep are dumb, and you're sheep. We're sheep, right? We're dumb animals at times. <laughs> I should have done this. But there's like this YouTube video of all these dumb sheep falling off of cliffs. I think it's hilarious. Um, but they do. Like they're, they're, they're destined for destruction unless they have a shepherd. And the shepherd is always, if you see shepherds, they're whacking sheep, right? They've they're, they got the rod, and they're, 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 they're tapping the sheep, they're whacking the sheep, they're beating the sheep, make sure the sheep stays on the path so it doesn't fall off the cliff. And then they, then they have the staff, which is that big crook, right? And you know what that one's for? It's for when the sheep falls off the cliff or the sheep falls in the river. That is grace. That is saving grace that will bypass that sheep's free will and save it from death and destruction. And that's what Jesus does to us. That's what grace does for us. When we, when we as a little, think of yourself as a spiritual little kid and you're playing in the street, God's going to come in. He's going to pull you out of the way from that Mack truck and he's going to save you with that crook. He's going to tap you away from the street so you don't get run over. Uh, but there's times 
when we need to develop enough spiritual common sense to not play in the street. He's only going to crook us so many times. All right. So that's the general sense of the rest of Psalms, but we need to look at the fifth book, the final book of Psalms, and the end. So chapter 1 of Psalms and chapter 2 of Psalms is the introduction. Chapter 146, 147, 148, 149, 150 is the conclusion. It, it caps the book off. It, um, it's the crescendo. It's the final act. It, 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 it's the meaning of the whole book. All right, let me get to it. Turn to your Bibles to chapter 146. It says, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praises to my God as long as I live. Does anybody in their Bibles, does it say instead of praise the Lord, does it say hallelujah? You ever, you ever hear this really weird word? Maybe we sing it on Sunday or you, know, you hear it on Channel 40 or maybe I say it every once in a while like I did. You know what hallelujah means? Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's what it means. And that's what it should say right here in your Bibles. It should say hallelujah. And okay, I'll, give, I'll just break the word apart for you. Hallelujah is praise. What do you think yah is? All right, yeah, good job, guys. It's God. It's who we've been learning about. Who, what is the name of God? Who's the, what's the name of God that was given when they were led out of Egypt? Who's the intimate God? Yahweh. He is so intimate. His name is so important. His name is so powerful that our friends on Saturday, our Jewish friends that were holding church over there, they won't even say Yahweh. We say it all the time. We say praise the Lord all the time. It becomes so real to us, it doesn't have any, any depth or, or weight to it anymore. But it is so powerful that they don't even say it. They don't even, they don't say Yahweh. It's not spelled out Yahweh in their book. It's spelled, it's Y-H-W-H. It's, the, it's called the Tetragrammatron. And even at that, they don't say Y-H-W-H or Tetragrammatron. They say Adonai. They say my Lord because God's name is, it carries so much weight and so much power that they don't say it unless it's really important, unless they yell out a Hallelujah. Isn't that cool? So hallelujah. So when you read this, don't let this praise the Lord just come off your lips. It's hallelujah. 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 Oh, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. Okay, this is important. Ready? Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who what? Cannot save. Let's, let's retranslate this. Do not put your trust in presidential candidates, in governors, in politicians, in pastors. We, they cannot save. There's only one person that saves, and that's Jesus. Maybe a politician can get you into a better tax bracket, but that's not going to fix the condition of your heart. 
Only Jesus can fix the condition of your heart. Don't put your trust in what is going on in the news. Only Jesus saves. And then it ends with what? The Lord reigns forever. O Zion, for all generations, hallelujah. Chapter 147, hallelujah, praise God. God is good. He, it is good to sing the praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting it is to praise him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem, not men. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He's going to bring us out of slavery, out of bondage, out of the way that we think. He's going to deliver us, only he can do it. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. He is determined He has determined the number of the stars. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. And then again, 147 ends with what? Hallelujah. Praise God. Chapter 148. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the highest above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all you heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, highest heavens, all you waters above the skies. Let them praise his name of the Lord, for he commands them, and they were created. He set them in place forever and ever. He gave a decree that they will never pass away. Hallelujah from the earth. And again, it ends, hallelujah. 149, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord, what? A new song. We need something new. Not that we're consumer Christians, but like if you are dry, you're bored with the Bible. Guess what? You've changed. Since the last time you picked up the book, you have changed. There's something new for you. There is a new song in the book. There is a new song that Holy Spirit wants to give you. There's new inspiration. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praises in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. And then Psalms 150. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him, all you, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his acts of power, praise him for his surpassing greatness, praise him with sounds of trumpets, praise him with guitars, praise him with drums, praise him with tubas and saxophones, praise him with a tamarind and dancing as long as it's not weird interpretive dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes and praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath, hallelujah. Isn't that cool? So, like, if you're reading Psalms and you're getting a little bummed out, read these last five chapters. So good. It's so good. It's going to get you out of the muck and the mire. That's what David was in. He was in the muck and the mire, and he learned how to do this. He strengthened himself in the Lord through thanksgiving and praise. So get your pain, your laments, your frustrations, your anger, 
your confusion, pray them through in his presence. That's the key. Don't just, don't just ruminate on all this negative stuff. Pray this stuff through in God's presence, and then hallelujah. All right, if I got band and ushers come to the front. Did I do it in 20 minutes? Did I do it? Did I do it? Tell me. No? Not even close? I don't know. Now you're not going to remember anything, right? It all went over your head because I couldn't do it in 20 minutes. Hallelujah. All right, ushers, let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, we just pray for that peace that transcends understanding. God, I pray that those that are losing sleep, that are fretting, like when they turn the news on, they get nightmares, God. I pray that you would just free us from that bondage, God. We do require justice in our country, in our world, because you are a God of justice, and you're a God of mercy, and you want to unite people and not divide people. And so, God, we put our faith, and we put our trust in you and not into not into politicians that are giving us the things that we want to hear but it is only you and it is that it, it is the church that is the hope of the world not man and so god we give you our lives and we surrender every area that needs help god we thank you that and we give you praise for the areas that we've got victory but we've all got areas in our lives that that need help and so, God, may we, re- may we surrender those things to you. May we pray our frustrations and our pain and our bitterness, and may we turn them from anxieties and into prayer and into worship, God. Give us victory, God. I pray right now that we will be, that we'll be like the first chapter, folks, that we will be a blessed people. So bless us in your name. Amen.